Chelsea and I took a few days away this week and I found myself reading things that I normally wouldn't read just to distract my attention, but still a lot of the time thinking about this message. And here's the reason, because this is a, this is a tremendous download for you. And I was trying to figure out how I could give you enough that you could go ahead and, and work it out yourself because this is one of the classes that, uh, that I taught in Bible college some years ago. And it's a very basic thing to begin to learn about walking in the presence of God. So uh, take some of this and, and listen to last week again, listen to this week again, and, and just begin to work it out on your own time. Uh, it's, it's common these days to use busyness as an excuse. Uh, I, I've thought and thought and thought about more kind ways to say that, but the truth is that it's used as an excuse for many things. And talked with some of the pastors from Mexico at length about this because it seems like in Mexico in particular, it's worn as a badge of honor. I'm, I'm busy, you know, and uh, the truth is we all have time to do what we want to do. And those same people that would tell you that they're busy, you get them in conversation and they can tell you every soccer team, what their standing is, what the names of the players are, but they're busy when it comes time to really getting into a, an intimate relationship with God. So I say all that at the beginning to say this, let's get that out of our thinking. Nobody in this culture or any other culture that I know is too busy to engage with God on a daily basis. Amen. So just begin to think differently because the way you think about things is the way you will act and react and as long as you have that excuse and as long as you make that excuse you're never going to get into that intimate relationship with God. Now some people would tell you um, that you can chase around over the countryside and get various ministries to lay their hands on you and you will have an encounter at that time. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen because I have had it happen personally where I had an encounter through somebody that walked in power. But if you want a real life-changing encounter with God, you'll get it through personal day-to-day -day relationship with God. Amen. That's where it'll come from. I've had a lot of young ministers through the years that have come up after service or, or whatever and, and said, will you lay hands on me because I want the kind of anointing you have. And my answer is always, no, I won't. Because you don't want the kind of anointing I have. You don't want to walk the road I walked to be anointed like this. But if you walk the road God has for you to walk, you can be anointed like he wants you to be anointed, and he will empower you through that. So all, all I'm saying is when you see something you want in God, pursue it with him personally. And somewhere in the way, he will meet you. And you'll begin to see a difference and to walk in a different way and, and to see things happen. 
this week, I've been really laying some things before God because I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just one of those guys that has a hard time just doing nothing, especially in my mind. I, I engage and I think. And I was asking God to, to give me more explanation about this time in my life. And he took me back to when, when I first began and realized that God was, was pulling me into, at the time, what we would have called ministry. And I, I began to ask him. I, I was in Oklahoma at the time, and, and I was in churches, in and around churches, that in every church they had a minimum usually of five couples that called themselves preachers and called, but they were sitting in the pews doing nothing except causing trouble for whoever was leading it. And, and that's the truth. Uh, you know, if you have unfulfilled leadership, you got trouble sitting. So as, as I was seeking God, I said, God, what do you want me to do? Because I don't want to be here. In, in, somebody, in, in somebody else's bullpen. I want, I want to do what you called me to do. And God laid it on my, my heart. He said, I want you to go to small places that everyone else is giving up on. And I want you to learn what it is to walk with me and to bring life in those places that they call burned over fields. And we began to do that. Uh, you know, the, the, first, the first church we went to, they were getting ready to close the doors, and, and they, they assured us that when we started out, we would see about 40 people. Well, that first Sunday, there was eight, and that included three of my family. And that's because someone before hadn't been giving right numbers when they asked them what was going on. And so, so that's the way we started out. And as, as I began to go through, I began to realize that, that there are smaller rural works that are never going to be uh, huge. They simply don't have the, the people base or the financial base. But that God wants them to have just as much of him as any other work in the world. And, and God reminded me of that this week. And he, he said, I also want you to remember that somewhere in the middle of that, that I dropped this in your heart. Back when, this, when the, the apostolic thing first started and it was, it was big and, and people's thinking and it wasn't so big in God's thinking because he had always done that and people thought it was new, but it wasn't new. And back in that time, God, God dropped in my heart. He, he said, I want you to continue with these smaller works. And by this time I was traveling among a number of small churches. And he said, I want you to continue that, but I want you to become an apostolic facilitator. And I started pondering that, saying, okay, I, I'm good with that, but God talked to me about it. And as, as normal, he took me back to the dictionary, the English language to help me. And, and I began to realize that to be apostolic is to have gone through the course or the, or the, the ways of discipleship far enough that you begin to be sent, that you begin to be sent to do a specific job and, begin, and you come back and you're sent again. And he, he said to me, I want you to facilitate that among the churches. And now you think about that. It's to make everybody aware, not of how powerful Psy is, not how powerful Michael is, but how powerful the God that indwells you is. 
And that realizing that as you go through the course of discipleship, as, as you come into the reality of what it is to walk with him on this earth, in this dimension, he will send you to do certain things. He will cause things to happen in your day-to-day -day life that will give you opportunity to release what is in you into someone else. And it won't be because they get an impartation of your anointing. It's that they get just a little bit of the light of God that's already working in and around you into their own world. So that being the case, I, I, I felt like God wanted me to take this, that is a several-week class, and condense it where, where I could maybe help you to understand that the focus has somehow come off in people's lives. One of, the, one of the most difficult things we work with often in young leaders is everybody wants to be T.D. Jakes or everybody wants to be Robert Morris and some even want to be Joel Osteen. And you think about that. Those guys do what they do. And I've, it happens that at one time, Robert Morris, I had time to interact with him more than any of the others, but I, I, I hear, have heard him say that he never intended to become the largest church in the United States. There's no intention of that. He just wanted to follow God. And things began to happen, and the next thing you know, withdrawing talented people around him, it became Gateway out of Dallas, which now has seven locations in Dallas and about another seven throughout the world in various places, and literally is the largest attended church in the world. He didn't intend to do that. It just, it just walking and following God. Now, think about that for a moment. If you make that your goal when you first begin to respond to what God is doing, you're never going to understand the fulfillment of the moment. If, if that happens, and maybe some of you have that talent, I don't know. I know I don't. I don't want it. I've, there's no desire in me for anything like that. I, I, I'm so fulfilled working with Churches of this size and somewhat a little bit larger. That, that's to me, that's where the real activity of the Spirit goes on. But if you have that capacity, you're not going to get there by standing here and looking at it and confessing it. You got to do something. You can tell me, well, I, I had a dream, and in this dream, I saw this, this, and this. Well, okay. That, that's sometimes really cool. What's the next step? If that's going to be so, what happens here? Because that's where it's all at. That's where God is right now. God can show you what he can do out there, but that's not where he's dwelling. He's dwelling here among us, full of grace and truth. And he wants to empower your next step. So once again, I, we're going to end this today, but I, I'm not going to get through it. You're going to need to work on it. But I want to challenge you at the very beginning today to rediscover the written Word of God. Now, probably many of you can quote location and chapter and verse on more Scripture than I can, because I'll tell you the truth, I can't do that with very many Scriptures. Why? Because I've tried to make this so much a part of me 
that it's not memorization, that it just flows in my conversation and flows in my life. And if you want to know where it's found, you're going to have to do the work. Because I can't even tell you that. I, I have to do the work when I want to find it. But rediscover the Word of God. Use it to measure how well you're doing in currently hearing Him. Not how much you know about it. Not how many verses you can quote, but how are you doing with hearing Him? How, how are you doing with every day sensing a fresh revelation of His Word? You know that song that the worship team bowed on my knees and cried holy? That's an old song. But man, that thing was so fresh this morning. Why? Because it's something of our walk with Him that in, somehow in among all of our natural activity, every now and then we become aware that He is so absolutely other than us. He's so holy. And I'm still pushing toward, pressing toward the mark of that, of that high calling. But that calling is in Him. It's not in knowledge. It's not in all of that, but it's in Him. And so... Use the Word to find where you are for today. And, and not just to, to have Him as, as the God that walks beside you in His strength, but knowing what it is every day for Him to indwell you. If you want to do a Word study that will bless you, just go to Psalms itself and study out the Word strong and strength. My goodness, I was going to run through a bunch of that today, but I realized I don't have time for that. You're going to have to do it on your own. What a blessing as the psalmist began to talk about that he is the strength of my life. Not just the strength of the universe, but he is the strength of my life. He is strong. He's mighty in battle. He doesn't, it doesn't one time talk about me being mighty. It talks about him being mighty. But he indwells me, and that makes a difference. Now, if you begin to understand what it is for him to indwell you, then you'll start to live your life in anticipation because if he indwells me, that means he's going to work out from me. This is not a dead sea in here where there's income intake but no outgo. This is something real. And if it comes to me, it's going to work in me and flow through me. And the next thing you know, somebody's going to get touched by the power of God if I will allow it. Now, while you're learning to know his voice, realize that you're growing and, and, and you're, you're doing some things with him just simply by hearing his voice. And you, you can start to hear his voice through this if you use it right. Now, some people, and I know this was built into us, but there was a, there was a movement right after I first got saved where there was a real push. I mean, there was conferences about it. If you'll read three chapters every day, you'll get through this in a year. And man, I, you know, I'm one of those guys, I got no quit in me, or I didn't back in those days. Now I've only got quit in me. But, um, <laughs> but the thing is that in those days, I thought, well, if I can read three chapters a day and do something, then I can read 12. And I was getting up at, at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I had a job, and, and I was going to school, and I was pastoring a church, and I was still reading 12 chapters a day, just ripping through 12 chapters a day. 
You know what it done? It built something in me. It built pride in me. It built a religious spirit in me. It built some one of those deals where I'd look down my nose at somebody and say, well, I've never read the Bible through. <laughs> I can tell by the look on some of your faces that you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But then I began to discover, and I, I could use the theological terms, but I won't. I began to discover what, what happened if, if I just browsed in the scripture and then something would stand out to me and I began to work on that thing that stood out and began to find out what it meant and it was all right if I spent 30 days on one verse and it was all right if I spent a year on one chapter and I began to do that and all of a sudden I realized this thing was coming alive in me and I was getting it in me to the point where I could speak it and it would flow and it wasn't chapter and verse, it was just like it was God Himself talking through me and I began to be described in the circles I was in at that time as a man with a unique anointing. Amen. The kiss of death in denominationalism. <laughs> but it was different because there was power that was coming to me and working in me and flowing through me. There was something fresh and something that was working in me all the time. And I didn't have to go through a rote and a ritual to get there. I just get in this book and, and, and begin to realize that this was God's side of the conversation. And I began to ask God questions like, God, what, what, what are you saying here? What, what am I hearing? And once I thought I heard it, God, am I understanding this correctly? And I found out that the Word was its own best commentary, that if God was actually saying it, I could find it and I could back it up in, in the Word and, and then go back to God again, or maybe on one verse, say, God, I need to know, am I understanding this correctly? And I began to recognize His voice interacting with me alongside this written Word. And every now and then, I'd see somebody that really had a touch of God on their life that disagreed with me, and I'd go back to God and say, well, God, was I wrong about that? And you know what? Sometimes he'd say, yeah, you really were. And we'd go back, and we'd begin to reestablish and to reset. And what I found out, now, take a deep seat and hang on, but what I found out is those that went before me didn't get it all right. More than that, as I studied their lives, I began to realize they never intended for me to camp in what they knew. They expected me to take what they knew and to move on with my relationship with God until we discovered what it meant to walk with God, what it meant to have the Word of God flowing forth from me. But to get there, I had to start to embrace the spiritual rather than the natural. And, and that's, that's what I really want to get to leave a deposit with you this morning. But... Don't make the Bible a record of foregone conclusions. You need to get that. You see, we've been taught to read it like it's medication. This is part of the morning. I read X amount. And I've got to do it to keep up my good feelings about what I'm doing. That this helps. If I read this amount, and if I pray this long... And can I just stop here and say most of our praying is talking and griping at God. It's not really communicating. We'll go on from there. But if I, if I, if I do this, then I can appease my God. Folks, hear me. All paganism is about that. It starts with an idea of what is necessary to please an ideal of God. 
And folks, that's not what relationship with God is all about. It's not what you can do to appease a God sending us into paganism. It's what you can do to hear God and to walk with Him, knowing that faith comes not by memorization and quoting, but by hearing and comprehending what it is that God is talking to you about. It, we need no ritual to appease. He was appeased by the cross and the shedding of the blood there. We need no... We, we need no power that comes through repetition. We need the power of knowing that God lives in us. So just let me challenge you to intentionally move away from that. Intentionally move away from it. Take the chance. Expect fresh revelation. When you get in this book, expect it to come alive to you. And then relax in his decision and his plan. And that's part of what I was thinking about this week. I, I was realizing that God is, God's, boy, I hate to say it this way, but he's up to something. He's always up to something. But he's changing some things in this day. And, and it, I realized that, and being me, I, I had gotten uh, into that, saying, God, I've got to hear you. God, what are you doing? I, we can't make another move, God, until we know what you're saying. And then I realized I was doing it again. Sometimes, somehow I was trying to get so busy in my mind that he couldn't get through. And if you really want to hear him, you've got to learn to relax in your mind and let him speak. Because that agitation is not going to help you and it's not going to allow you to hear him. Now, moving on, I want to start to draw some of this together. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We mentioned it last week. Uh, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, there's at least two possible ways to look at this. One is this. That I can look at this from a foregone conclusion. From I've heard it all my life. I've read it over and over again. And I can come out of that foregone conclusion and say that God is out there somewhere... And what they're saying here was that as the sun would start to go down, that, that, that God would show up. And out of that, I develop a doctrine that God shows up from time to time. Folks, that's so far from what was intended in the Scripture. You know, if you're always moving from show up to show up, then you're never going to have an ongoing relationship with God. Because he showed up in creation. And I find no record of his ever leaving throughout Scripture. He showed up in our dimension. And he's always been here. Always had this thing moving forward. And we, we look at this and the first thing we think of that one verse is, man is fallen and somehow man is trying to hide in what God created. And we don't realize what is being said here, and that is that their presence of God was there. And folks, when we have, when we have the presence that begins to manifest and move like it does in our worship times, I so appreciate this worship team. They, they do such a good job of worshiping and then bringing that with them when they come. And, and when, when, we, when we do that, we need to realize that things happen in the presence. The presence itself is not an objective. It's here. 
And things happen in that presence according to our expectation and our acceptance that that's not just a feeling, that's God. Yeah, people, more people get healed in the presence than they ever do with somebody just laying hands on them. More people get delivered in the presence than they ever will by reading books about deliverance. Folks, we ought to get this. It's the presence that was important in this verse. And in that presence, there is a movement of atmosphere that is translated sound. They didn't know how else to say it. But there is a movement of atmosphere that we can come in tune with and begin to move with God. And the man and his wife tried to hide themselves from that presence. They, they tried to hide themselves. They had no understanding that it was more than just God walking with them, but it was God working in them and maturing them and leading them, and they thought they could hide from it. And they hid from it because they had begun to pay attention to a shadow. That shadow of the enemy saying, has God really said? That, that, that shadow that, that'll say things like, are you really a son or a daughter of God? Are you really fulfilling the call of God on your life? Do you really know Scripture? Those shadows that begin to come into our mind, they was paying attention to that. But what Adam and Eve missed is the fact of an all-powerful God that was present. I don't care what you're going through. There is an all-powerful God that is present coming to you, working in you, and around you. You don't have to try to get him to come from out there somewhere. You don't have to wait until the cool of the evening when it's time to pray. You don't have to do all of that. You just need to become aware that God, when he became in Genesis, first the all-powerful one began to create, and immediately when he began to work with man, he became the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, and that simply would translate into the all-powerful God that is always and forever in the lives of men. That changes things. Both Adam and Eve, immediately when they began to listen to the suggestion of darkness, in their minds they separated from God. There was no real separation except in their mind. They began to respond and to do things that, that weren't as they should be, if I understand it right. I'm, I'm not locking you in, Caleb, but as I understand it, this is some of the things you'll be talking about next week, is a lot of times we forget that there really is a way and a walk. And I'm going to touch that and get away from it and leave it to you. But the thing is that they began to realize that they had done something that was different from God. In their mind, they became separated. But they were never separated. God was there. He was walking with them. He was talking with them. He was willing to talk with them anyway. They weren't much talking. Now, the darkness, folks, is the enemy's effort to encroach on your light. Now, I'm going I'm to use some illustration, but first I want to go to, to the Scripture, uh, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In Him, in Him, in the Word, in God, in Jehovah was light, and light, the life, was the light of man. So get this connection. What is life? Light of God, real life. What is life? The light of God. What is light? The life that you live brings 
life to your world. The light shines in darkness, and darkness did not comprehend or, or overpower it. Now, I want to pull all this together as much as I can. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Now, first of all, get the theological concept of righteous out of your mind. Maybe you don't have it in it, but if not, that's a blessing. You don't need deliverance. If you've got it in there, you need deliverance. Righteous is right relationship with God and right relationship with men. The path, the way of the righteous is light. You get that? The way, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they'll stumble. Now this is the most descriptive passage I could find about this. As Father breathes into our spirit, speaks His will and we respond, our way gets brighter and brighter and brighter. You know that Father will speak to you about your earthly relationships. If you're having a struggle with your wife, God will speak to you about that. You know where we work with darkness? If we're not careful, we'll say, God, you've got to talk to her. And you know what God's saying? No, I want to talk to you. Hear me. God, you've got to fix them. No, I want to fix you. Folks, this is so simple and we made it so difficult. But as we walk in righteousness, our way gets brighter and brighter. And the brighter our way gets, the more we affect our world. The more the world around us begins to be affected. Now that word wicked, the way of the wicked, that's not overwhelming sin. In the Latin, it's the same word they use to describe wicker furniture. Just a little twisted, you know. There's not much strength to... To, to that, those straws or whatever it is until they twist them together. And then there's strength. Now you start to twist together all of the dark things that might be being whispered to you, trying to get you not to walk in the light of God. It has no strength if you'll recognize that's not God and begin to do something about it. But if you start to grab all those little things and twist them together, the next thing you know, your light has become darkness. Why? Because you didn't talk to God about it. You began to embrace those things that that were out there. And that which brings darkness is not that which is terribly evil. It's just twisted thinking about what is relationship with God and what is relationship with men. You know that what about me stuff in this world that we, we so celebrate in the world? Just what about it? What about him and, the, and who he wants you to be and who he wants you to touch and who he wants you to befriend? What about that? Well, what about me? What about you? What about him? The one that says, I have the way, I have the truth, I have the life. Well, it made me feel, what about that feeling? Who cares? How does he want me to respond to this thing and heal, let him heal my feelings? My goodness, we, this whole thing that we have preached as the gospel in this nation is nothing but psychobabble, and we need to move away from it and see what the book says again. Wow. I didn't intend to get off on that, but I'm so glad I did. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because we're reaching back into a canceled past and trying to make a life of it. And it's canceled. It's canceled. 
I think Leslie has it. Leslie's mom used to carry around a picture of me from before Jesus. And every time I see that through the years, I look at it and think, that man don't even exist anymore. And that's the truth. I, I have no relation to that man at all. I can't understand the way he thought. I don't understand people that think like he did. That guy dead. But I'm alive. And it's a whole different thing. Now, to clarify this, I want you to consider how thoughts are formed. I'll give you a couple illustrations. And, you know, we're doing okay on time. I might get through this. I think we're doing okay. I don't know how you feel about it. The enemy knows that he can't just overwhelm you with immediate darkness. Why? Because you're saved. So he comes with suggestions, with shadows. And I'll give you an illustration that uh, might seem extreme, but it's really not. Let's say that a man leaves his family, and that man has a young son, and the mother's talking to the young son about that. That mom's got to hear God clearly if, she's gonna, if that boy's going to be okay. But what is often said with good intent, trying to make it okay, she'll say, son, you're now the man of the family. Now, she's done something in her mind. She brought a shadow to her mind, and she brings a shadow to his mind. In his mind, everything that goes wrong after that's his fault because he's the man and he should solve it. It's male thinking. I have to take that back to God over and over again, God saying, God, help me to realize that I can't solve this without you. And if you're not solving it, I'm exhausting myself to try. Because it's a male thing. That boy will be thinking, I've got to be to this household what my dad would have been. Now he's got an offense against his dad. He don't feel like he can meet the expectation of his mom. But mom's got that shadow in there too. Because in the Bible, when two become one, they become complete. She has that need in her to be joined with that male figure. I'm not talking about sexually now. I'm talking about the, the joining of the soul. And she tries to make that boy what, her, what his dad wasn't by telling him all the stuff, talking it all over with him, trying to get him, try, tr trying to get someone to understand what's going on inside of her and if she's not careful she'll try to make a little girl out of him too she'll try to pull him up to herself and constantly be be making him weaker and weaker by him having expectations that this is the way every woman's going to treat me is like i'm the king of the world and they have both brought darkness into play when there was light available now can't say exactly but what might have been said that would change that if in the beginning that mom would say, son, this is not of God, but God will help us. We're going to hear God every step of the way on this. You can't be the man of the family, your boy. I don't have that relationship with your dad anymore, son. Would you help, would you help me pray and let's hear God together how this family is going to move forward. That brings light into a situation that was completely dark. Um, Other things, I'll, I'll, I'll make this one brief, but I have a family on one side or the other, and I'm going to say it that way so that you can't readily identify which side it is should any of them attend, but they really didn't like preachers. 
unless that preacher was following certain patterns. And the theory seemed to be that if you can keep him poor, you don't want to pay him much, and if you can keep him really busy, then you can keep him straight, otherwise he's worthless. Now that brought shadows into my young mind. Because first of all, I was responding to God to be one who carried the gospel. And I knew immediately from past conversation that they didn't really like those guys. So it immediately made me think about the families that I'm not going to be liked by them anymore. I'm breaking the pattern here. And not only that, but I can never have anything and, and, and be what the people of the church want. I can, never, I can never do anything but work my tail off, otherwise the people will be unhappy. And those shadows started to rule my mind. Now I want you to know something. That's not what people think. That's what my family thought. But people in general don't think like that. And thank God for people like you that have helped to break me out of that into the light. But folks, that's the way it works when we begin to think outside of God. What happened, what really is the case is they were a bunch of rebels. And, and they didn't want the power of God from somebody else touching their lives. And their lives showed it. So when we begin to realize how important these things are that we walk with God every day and begin to realize that, that when times get hard that we need to be hearing God and we need to be reacting out of that. Otherwise those shadows will become a darkness of the soul that we need deliverance from. I love the way we're yelling amen now. But I figured it would be like this. Folks, there's a quiet contemplation that comes with this that we need to think about it. You know, in all of us, there's shadows that are lurking. But our, our walk as we follow God is getting brighter and brighter. And things pop up from time to time, but there's still a way to not be, uh, not be knocked off track when this happens. He's, and the biggest and the foremost thing is realize, I'm not waiting for him to come. He's with me. He's with me. Uh, Leslie was saying this morning, there, there's something we need to, we need to realize that. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. I, I have, to the best of my ability, and I'm sure most of you have too, joined myself to the Lord. So I'm not waiting for his spirit to come his spirit has become so intertwined with my spirit that when I talk about my spirit, we're talking about his spirit. If there's anything outside of that, it's in my mind, not in my spirit. And that strength of spirit will help us get it out of our mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord, Lord God that they talked about back in the Garden of Eden, now the Lord is the Spirit, this Holy Spirit that comes over me and baptizes me and empowers me and, and helps me with all of these manifestations and all of that. It's become one with my Spirit, and I need to work with Him to clear the shadows. Now, 
the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 17. I hope you'll have more understanding of this now as I read it. Until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. You see, that time when God is moving and we're still living in it, we're still in that in that, in that phase, that, that part where, where God is still moving, and I think we're probably always going to be, but that time when God is moving will cause, if we, we become conscious of that, it'll cause those shadows to flee away. Realize, man, I'm, I'm a part of a different family now. And that's one of the biggest revelations of my life. And it happened early on when, when I had a friend he's from Australia named Wayne William. And he just looked right at me and said, God really likes you. And he wasn't even pointing at me, I found out later. But in my mind, those words hit me like a ton of bricks and that finger was pointing right at me. God liked me. You know, I needed that because the shadows of a family that didn't like people who did what I did and does do what I do, they didn't like that. And I needed to know that this family of God really likes you. And I still am in awe of that sometimes because I don't find myself that likable. But he does. He does. His spirit has become one with my spirit and I can work with him. So Again, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 6. Until the cool of the day when shadows flee away. Leslie, you want to come up? I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Now, most of the scholars agree that when you're talking about myrrh and frankincense, you're talking about a depth of worship that is beyond the normal. It's a, it's a, it's a depth of worship where fragrance begins to come from you toward him. And here's how you make those shadows flee away. You go into a place of worship. Now, if you think, worship, think of worship as 20, 25 minutes on Sunday morning, you've missed it. I, when I get out of bed in the morning, and it's often with song, you, Chelsea will say, what? And I'll say, it's all right. I know it sounds like I'm talking, but I'm singing. It's just the way it is. You can't tell the difference between my talking and my singing sometimes. But I'm just, I'm just beginning to sing those songs that mean something to me. It's probably not going to be the most current songs because of my hearing. I can't tell what those people are saying. So I have to go back to the ones that I knew that, that really speak to me and talk to me. And as I begin to lift my spirit together with his spirit, something begins to flow from me in its worship. And those shadows start to flee away. Now the choice I have is I can get up and start worrying. I can engage in everything that, that, that the darkness tells me that I'm not doing or that I am not or, or that, that I never will be or that I, I've, I've made a mistake with my life or whatever. I can engage that or I can engage him. And if I engage him, something will start to flow from me that is the light of God, and those shadows will flee away. The darkness will start to go, but it all comes out of an awareness that he's God and he's with me. And I don't, I don't have to fast and pray until he comes. He has already come. Yeah, there's times of fasting and praying. Uh, probably not as much as some would like you to think. 
But there's, there's seasons where, where you really, for me, I'm really wanting to hear God more clearly about something. And I'll, I'll spend some extended time, but, but for the large portion of the time, it's just me getting up out of bed in the morning and engaging God because knowing that His Spirit is going to flow. And in that flow, there is a sound, and it's the voice of God. And in the, as, as I respond to that sound, the shadows flee away. I've been so convinced that out of, out of this group, out of the worship team, there's going to be, there's going to be songs starting, starting to be written. Why? Because there's a sound that goes with a house. There's a sound that goes with a body. And that we, we've got a distinct presence in this place. No, it doesn't look like Hillsong. No, it doesn't look like whatever. Uh, doesn't look a whole lot like Southern Gospel either. But it's just that there's a sound of the house. And it's the Spirit of God moving and flowing. And some people, some people early on left here because we didn't have what they call the right sound. We weren't edgy enough to reach a generation. You know what? I'm not interested in reaching a generation with, with a song service. I'm interested in reaching a generation as he flows out through my life. And in the midst of that, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship him. I'm, I'm going to live in that place where shadows flee away. And when I sense the shadows, I must know that this presence in me cannot be overpowered by those shadows. It cannot be. And that he's full of grace and truth. And what he wants to talk to me about is who I am in him. Not what I didn't quite get to be back there. Not, not what I didn't quite accomplish back there. What he's doing right now and how that's going to look as we move on toward the end of life because the end of life means that I'm just going to be forever with him. We'll just let that happen as it happens. I'm, I'm good with that. I've got some medical things going on and somebody mentioned to be sure and not, and not be afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that. If I was afraid of that, I'd be afraid of being with him. I'm not afraid of that. It's all good. The shadows flee away, folks. Uh, you you worried about your children. Hey, just worship Him. Just get into it and let those shadows flee away and, and, and begin to realize that He's working on them right where they are. And He said he, His promise to us is as we do what He has asked us to do, that our sons will come from afar and our daughters will nurse at our side. Just leave that with Him. That's Him. Live your life. Let your light shine. Let it shine before men that what they might see your good works and worship the Father who's in heaven. Amen. Not see how much you're going through. Not see how hard it is. Not, not see how much whining you're doing. But see the good works and worship your Father who's in heaven. You know, inevitably when, when we have things take place like the passing of Bill Elsie, man, it hurts. There's a hole left. But does that mean I'm not, that I'm going to quit praying for the sick? <laughs> no, not on your life. Because I serve the healer. You know, Betty has suffered. I've talked with Marion several times and over the past week or so. And, and hearing him express how she has suffered, it makes you want to just, and I've said this to Marion, I wish, I wish I could just fix it. I can't, but God can and encourage him, be all right with how God fixes it. Don't, don't try to tell him what to do. 
But folks, that's part of just acknowledging that he's God. He's God. Now, Father, we just acknowledge your presence this morning. But most of all, we acknowledge you. You're our healer. You're our deliverer. You're our savior. You're the almighty God and you're with us. Lord, perhaps the most, most important understanding we have is with, of you is that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, touch us with this. God, drive the shadows away as we embrace what you've said about us and not what the world says, not what our family says, not what anybody else says, but we embrace what you say and move with that and release your light into the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming.